Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and we start with geopolitics, which is the flavour of the day. The government considering tougher spy laws, including requiring foreign states to reveal the names of their agents operating in Britain. wonder if that will work. That's as ministers crack or plan a crackdown following the publication of the Russia report, of course, which came out yesterday pretty damning about the abilities of security services to combat other countries meddling in British politics. Yeah, I thought the whole point of a spy was that you didn't know who they were, but beats me. And then the other headache is, of course, China. We had a visit from the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, heaping praise on Britain for its firmer stance against Beijing, uh, which sounds great on the surface of it, doesn't it? But then I I suppose if you dig a little bit further, the question is, how much further do you want to go? How much further do you want to follow the US? We heard from the Defence Select Committee Chairman Tobias Elwood earlier on. He told Bloomberg he sees an era of Cold War with China. We need a full foreign policy reset. We need to understand that we are heading towards a bipolar world. You know, I'd go so far as to say that we're probably already in a Cold War, uh, but we're in denial. There is a geopolitical threat that challenges the West and what what we do, the way we do our business. And we need to stand up and and offer a, a graceful solution to take us away from this clash that we're now experiencing. Yeah, it is a very difficult moment there, of course, Tobias Elwood talking about it. Let's bring in Drew Hendry, SNP MP for Inverness. Drew, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, Well, let's kick off on China. Do you think the government is right at this stage to be talking about stronger action against a country that, frankly, well, the second biggest economy in the world, we can probably ill afford to offend? Well, I think you've got to always try to do the right thing. And uh, where there are threats to security, then clearly that's got to be paramount before you can do anything else. Looking after uh, the population is the, the key function of, of, of government. So economic measures have to take second place of that. But always worry about MPs who are quick to use the term, whether it's cold or otherwise, war or uh, conflict. Um, that's not the right way to deal with international relations. Uh, we should be uh, seeking to engage with different types of language in a different way. And uh, and the art of diplomacy seems to have disappeared uh, entirely from the UK and the international discourse. I suppose, Drew, the question is, how much further do you follow the US down this rabbit hole? Mike Pompeo urging Britain to join a broad alliance against China, but that could have some pretty extreme conclusions. 
Well, I think, um, you know, a, a presidency, presidency under Donald Trump and, uh, uh, you know, and the, the guidance of Mike Pompeo is a very risky path to follow. Uh, you know, we, we should be looking at these things individually on their merits, um, should be saying what action we need to take, where we need to take it. Um, and not just doing this kind of blanket response. We've seen the words from Donald Trump when he's been talking about China virus and so forth. He's you know, deliberately positioning uh, China as an enemy. We shouldn't be looking around the world for enemies and following the US down that road. As I say, the action that we take should be to protect our citizens and should be appropriate. Um, and we should really return to an era of trying to set the example for uh, democracy. And that's something uh, for diplomacy. And that's something that's been sadly missing for many years now in the uh, UK. And, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't that hard to do. You just have to reach out and try uh, to deal with things in a different way. But pulling up the drawbridges is never a good uh, solution. Is this a moment where you feel if there were a foreign office in Edinburgh that could handle Scotland's foreign affairs separately, it would be quite useful maybe now? Well, uh, you know, it will come to you, no, it come to you as no surprise uh, to, to uh, hear that I would believe that would absolutely be the case. I think you only have to look at our relationships around Europe to see the example of that, where we have been able to go out and establish friendships from Scotland. We've been very successful there. That doesn't take away the the point that uh, you know there is a duty to look after citizens and to protect them uh, from outside threats, uh, but it is does you know uh, underline the fact that there's a very different view on international diplomacy uh, in Scotland than there is in Westminster. But you would still, as an independent Scotland, have to bandy together with other countries like, for example, the US, not least because Scotland would be a much smaller economic might uh, than the UK currently is. Well, of course you band together, but that's the, the whole point. You have friends. Sometimes those friends need to be uh, told when they're doing things wrong. That's what a friend is for, you know, to, to support you when you support them when you need them to support you, but also to tell them uh, when things are going awry and be, make it clear and be uh, a positive and calming voice in international situations. That That's the whole point of diplomacy. It's the reason that we have international relations. And, it, you know, it, it, it beggars belief um, that we've got ourselves into a situation, mainly because of the Boris Johnson and these previous Tory governments and their approach to Brexit and other matters internationally um, that have uh, more or less made the UK isolated um, and uh, searching for one or two friends. The reliance on the United States is, uh, is not healthy. Um, we should be really very well connected and much better connected uh, on a wider international scale uh, than we are at the moment. And I believe that you know, Scotland would do a different job and I believe a better job. Well, let me come back there. We've talked, obviously, about the issue of, of independence. Um, there was a referendum in 2014. The report that came out about Russia interference suggested they had at least tried to influence that referendum. Does that not give cause for concern that perhaps you, the nationalists, might be being manipulated uh, for reasons which you might not be wholly sympathetic to? Well, I don't have any concerns about being manipulated because I know that's not the case. But what I would say is that any threat to our democracy should have been investigated. And the Intelligence and Security Committee report has laid bare an absolutely shocking and damning failure by the Tory 
Tories to act on Russian interference, be that any during any referendum, particularly the Brexit referendum, which they just didn't want to investigate, and we have to wonder why. Um, but don't forget, this report was also blocked by Boris Johnson for many months, distracting from its contents, you know, an attempt to kind of put it off and, uh, and sell it. But it's you know, any uh, interference in anything has to be investigated. Now, the, the First Minister of Scotland uh, has said that she's not ruled out an inquiry, but um, obviously security is reserved to Westminster, so they would have to uh, take that. But but why, you know, why are there no calls for an inquiry into the Brexit referendum or any other uh, election? This is, you know, a hypocritical situation. Um, even though it is it has to be said, hard to find any evidence, given that the UK government, again, uh, have neglected their duties by failing to investigate it. Well, I mean, the other issue, Drew, is that your former leader in Scotland, Alex Salmond, has a chat show on RT, a state-owned Russian broadcaster, and several MPs and MSPs from the Scottish National Party have appeared on that. Does that need to stop? Well, you know, look, I don't think the report or anything like that singled out any... Uh, individual, and I'm not going to signal it any individual either. It's not a programme or a channel that I've ever appeared on, and I don't intend to, but, uh, but, you know, that's up to individual choices. There are people from all parties across the House of Commons who have done so. Uh, so, you know, this is not unique, and broadcasting is licensed in the UK by Westminster. It's another reserve power, and if they don't want to see uh, those channels and have a good reason for them not being uh, you know, able to broadcast, then that should be investigated by the UK government as part of the responsibility if they think it's part of an interference network and it shouldn't be licensed. But the fact is it is licensed by the UK. So it's a bit of a spurious point, if you don't mind me saying, uh, you know, to point to that when the UK is allowing, you know, the RT to broadcast here. One final point really is about uh, the position of Scotland in relation to what's been doing with the virus, because it's been interesting that uh, Boris Johnson seems to find that uh, he needs to come north to perhaps rally the troops up there. Do you get a sense that this whole crisis has strengthened uh, the divisions within the kingdom to the extent that another referendum on independence might be around the corner? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, the another independence referendum is inevitable. There's a, no, uh, you know, a, a, a sustained majority in opinion polls for uh, the people of Scotland to not only have their choice for independence, but in favour of independence for Scotland. That's, I think, come about because of the sharp focus, first of all, that was put on by the way the UK have handled Brexit against the wishes of the Scottish voting public. The Scotland voted 62% to remain, and all opinion polling shows that that position's strengthened since uh, the, the vote in 2016. Um, and we also have a situation, as you've pointed out, where our First Minister has been conducting clear, honest and transparent briefings on a daily basis to make sure that people fully understand what they need to do in order to you know, reduce the uh, rates of infection in Scotland. And that's been, by all measures, very successful. We're not taking anything for granted, but the process of trying to work towards elimination, obviously you can't eradicate the virus, but you can eliminate it with the right policies, has been uh, it has been paying dividends in terms of the fact that we've had a lower infection rate and obviously uh, fewer deaths for some time. And that's given a lot of people confidence to see what we can do when we have the powers to do things differently. And I think that has added to the uh, pressure, the, the growing clamour uh, for Scotland to have its say and, uh, and I believe, um, to 
take its place as an independent country. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's whittle through these top stories then. We start with Brexit, Roger. Go on. Yes, well, the post-Brexit trade deal, of course, that perennial, uh, because uh, the EU may actually fail to sign a trade deal with the UK, according to the Daily Telegraph. The paper says businesses have been told to start preparing for a no-deal exit from the transition period by the end of the year. It does, however, remain possible a basic agreement could be reached if the EU gives ground in the autumn. Well, I think one might say the Daily Telegraph has a pretty good line uh, to Downing Street. This may be a story they want to have out there for reasons uh, that perhaps might influence influence the talks, but also might take the attention from certain other things, which perhaps they'd rather weren't in the headlines. But we're also going to look at what's been happening with the World Health Organization. The Telegraph is splashing on a strong allegation against the WHO from the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. According to the paper, he told a private meeting of backbench MPs that the head of the WHO was bought by the Chinese government, saying on a firm intelligence footing, a deal was made. And a WHO spokesperson said last night it strongly rejects any ad hominem attacks and unfounded allegations against its leadership. And also we're talking about Labour whistleblowers, Seb. So what's been happening with that? Well, Labour apologising to a group of anti-Semitism whistleblowers. They accepted that those press statements made against them were defamatory and false. So there's going to be a big payout here. They're calling it substantial damages, which could go well over half a million pounds. It's a significant moment, of course, in Keir Starmer's efforts to move Labour on from all of those scandals that we saw under Jeremy Corbyn. These were seven former employees that were interviewed in that BBC Panorama investigation. Cast your mind back to that. That was pretty impactful when it came out. And it was very critical, of course, of the party's handling of anti-Semitism complaints at the time. Right now, in a moment, we're going to be talking about Russia and China and the way Britain deals with them. But first of all, let's think about business in these circumstances, because the British Chambers of Commerce has been keeping a very useful eye on the way in which business is coping with the current virus pandemic. And it's found many firms are struggling with weak revenues and cash flow problems. This is, of course, the latest coronavirus business impact tracker. And, of course, there is also the shadow of business in regard to China, given what's been happening on the geopolitical sphere. For more, we're joined by the BCC co-executive director, Claire Walker. Claire, thanks for being with us. Just give us a sense of what your tracker is telling you uh, at the moment. Yeah, so we've had this tracker in the field uh, in the uh, late part of, of, of July. And what it shows is actually the economy is still very much stuck in first gear. We're seeing firms operating at average only at half capacity compared to pre-COVID 
levels. And that's particularly for, for companies uh, with business-to-consumer uh, type approaches, although across, it's also for B2B businesses as well. And what we see is that many of the firms that we surveyed in this, in this large survey uh, think that reduced customer demand and future possible local lockdowns uh, are major obstacles for restarting. And big question, um, despite the economic statement just a few weeks ago around uh, jobs and what we can do to secure the jobs that are currently there and some of those being at risk. Yeah, Claire, I saw one of your figures was that a third of companies that you've surveyed say they are going to make redundancies over the next three months. And I mean, we always knew that some jobs were going to be lost. The Treasury has been very clear about that. But where does this tally with those expectations? So I think that, you know, that, that we have seen the government, you know, in fairness, make substantial um, uh, interventions, particularly around the furlough scheme, to uh, make sure that some jobs are maintained. I think that we are seeing, though, what we have feared, that as that scheme starts to taper off, we will see substantial redundancies. And one of the things that we... I've really been calling for, and was disappointed not to see in the economic statement um, a few weeks ago, was reducing the overall cost of, in, in, of employment. So there are things that the government could do to maintain jobs that are currently there and making it easier for people to, to stay employed. And that will be, for example, include, reducing the cost of the employer contribution to national insurance. And that would be one way across the board to start thinking about the cost of employing people. So is there a sense, do you think, that all the money spent on furlough, and it's been vast, was effectively wasted if at the end there is no or perhaps very little result in the longer term? I don't think we can say it's it's wasted. I think that that there have been many companies that have literally had to stop their their operations and that those jobs, without a shadow of a doubt, before we went into lockdown, would have gone without without those um, without those schemes, and some of those are reopening. And we do see from the tracker many companies using flexible furlough, which enables people uh, companies to bring their people back part time um, and enable them still have some subsidy by the government. And again, that's another example of something we think is crucial, and the government has listened to because without that probably the demand wouldn't have been there for those people to return to a full-time employment. So that's a positive contribution. So I don't think we can say it's wasted. I think we always knew that tapering down of these schemes was going to be really tricky. And we need to look at longer-term interventions about how to reduce the cost of employment that are away from specific things that were needed for lockdown. And where is getting hard hit in terms of a, of a sectoral look at this? Yeah, I mean, I think we know those sectors that are really hard hit, but it's not so aviation, uh, transport, hospitality, tourism are areas which have seen huge cuts um, and also are really struggling retail also being part of that. Where I think there is less visibility, but it's equally something we hear from across our chamber network, is that there's a real problem with some of the supply chain uh, for those businesses. So, for example, it might not necessarily be obvious that a laundrette might be impacted, but if most of their income is from hotels, then they are likely to see um, 
a real change in the way that they can um, uh, uh, function going forward. And equally, there's been a huge impact from working from home. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is our survey and our tracker shows that many companies are still considering a large proportion of their workforce still working from home. Some of that money will go to a different type of economy, but we will really need to think about what we do going forward around some city oh. centres. All right, Claire, thanks so much for being with us. That's the BCC Co-Executive Director, Claire Walker, giving us a sense uh, from that tracker that they run about how the business uh, environment is being impacted by what's been going on uh, with the virus and the ways out of it. Now, the other issue, of course, that's hanging around today is, of course, Britain's position in the world and vis-à-vis -vis Russia and vis-à-vis -vis China. Westminster still echoing to the claims in the Russia report about the Kremlin interference in the UK system and government reluctance to do anything about it. And, of course, how we should deal with China, given that it is, of course, the second largest economy in the world, but the Americans definitely don't want us to get more involved or want us to withdraw, and perhaps many of the British establishment want the same. Joining us now is Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, welcome to the programme. Um, first of all, on the Russia report. How much damage do you think that Russia report has caused for the government? Because it was pretty scathing. I think the Russia report just brought the issue of uh, Kremlin meddling through a whole variety of uh, mechanisms right to the top of the agenda. So for months we've been talking about China. We've seen a fairly robust government response to China's actions in Hong Kong. Um, you know, cutting Huawei out of the UK system almost as much as is possible. And that was partly uh, also pushed by Boris Johnson's backbenchers, a group of MPs who, you know, were were credibly threatening to vote down, um, you know, any legislation they deemed was too soft on China. So now with the Russia report, I think we see uh, Russia back to the forefront, along with China now, as another way that Britain becomes vulnerable to meddling in a foreign power. And in some ways, Russia ought to be, as Bill Browder, um, uh, the campaigner for Magnitsky laws, told me it ought to be easier to deal with Russia than China. But that actually hasn't proven the case, because we've known about Russian meddling for years and years, and yet uh, very little in practical terms has been done about it. Yeah, I suppose the other issue which encompasses all of this is the comment in the report about enablers, all the people like estate agents, bankers who are allowing Russia to interfere in Britain. The issue is it's a huge part of the economy. We're struggling with coronavirus and, and now we're talking about clamping them down. Can Britain really afford to do that in this state? Yeah, and I think there, there are two questions here. One is, um, you know, can it figure out which enablers are sort of, you know, willing uh, partners in crime, as it were, and, and which are sort of, you know, professionals um, who are sort of doing their job serving very wealthy clients, but not quite uh, aware of how they may be also serving the Kremlin's interests. It's going to be difficult to separate the two. And then, you know, once you have... Uh, once you've done that, then what can you do about it? So one of the report's recommendations uh, calls for much greater transparency. And I think that ought to be very easy to implement. For example, the United States uh, has uh, laws that require lawmakers and actually anyone who's representing a foreign government's interest to declare that. And the UK doesn't have that kind of uh, uh, requirement and, and passing laws that um, 
institute a much higher level of transparency would you know, be something that Boris Johnson's government could do that would show it's it's paying attention to the findings in this report. It could also use Magnitsky sanctions, which uh, uh, put in visa bans and asset freezes on foreign officials who are uh, deemed to have violated the, the human rights, um, uh, for example, as, uh, as has been used uh, in the U.S. against China for the Uyghur population. So there are things the UK government yeah. can do. It's a question of, as you say, with everything else going on, what is its, it's appetite for uh, measures that would also really dampen, say, you know, Russian um, legitimate Russian spending in the it's, UK at property purchases, as huge, well as you know some of the legitimate yeah. ones. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.